Well, if you'll remain standing for the reading of God's Word this morning, we will be taking a break from Romans uh, for a couple of weeks. And uh, this morning we will be in Psalm chapter 46. So if you'll turn to chapter 46 in Psalms, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, his voice, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Thank you. You may be seated. The one instruction I was given by Casey this morning was to stay away from Romans and I was not able to do that. There will be some Romans thrown in here and there. But this morning, this psalm, as I was studying it, it was a, it's a message to two kinds of people. To those who love God and have put their trust in Him and who strove, strive for holiness, it is a reminder of the sovereignty of God, of His mercy and His love for His people. And to these people, this psalm offers encouragement even in the darkest of days. To those who are hostile towards God, this psalm is a declaration of the power and majesty of God, as He is above all things. He is the creator, sustainer, and ruler of all. He is over all nature and over all earthly kingdoms. He is to be feared more than anything. And it is a call to stop trusting in the things of this world and put your trust in Christ. It's interesting that this psalm is also the reading of God's word that drove Luther to pen, a mighty fortress is our God. And you'll understand that because I'll be intermixing the lyrics of that song throughout my sermon But in 1966, a couple of months after I was born, yes, that was a long time ago, I know, Time Magazine put on the headline of, Is God Dead? The article inside looked at the problems facing the theologians at that time and making God relevant to an increasingly secular society. Seems like nothing's really changed, has it? There really is nothing new under the sun. But here's the key to the article. Belief in God was waning at that time. But to those who were still curious about God, it offered up four options. 
Number one, stop talking about God for a while. Number two, formulate a new image and concept of God using contemporary thought categories. Number three, simply point the way to areas of human experience that indicate the presence of something beyond man in life. And number four, stick to what the Bible says. This fourth one sounds pretty good, and if they would have done that, it would have done away with the first three. But we can see the result of that philosophy over the last 50-some-odd years. Those who are hostile towards God have taken the advice of this article and have infiltrated this society with even more deepening evil. But worse than that, they have really infiltrated the church. And if you look at the church today, you will find these options have been fully realized. According to Barna, 47% of millennials agree that at least somewhat, or at least somewhat, that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share that same faith. It also says 65% of those Christian millennials believe that people today are more likely than in the past to take offense they share their faith. And that's the society that we live in, where everything is offensive. And so what do we do? Well, David says in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And the result of this society is seemingly devastating. Abortion, murder, evil on TV, in the movies, now even streaming online, and the things that were once not even spoken of in private hardly are now unabashedly celebrated in public and in the church. <laughs> but for the true bride of Christ, we can say, as David says in the psalm, God is our refuge. He is our strength. Or as Luther puts it, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. In the midst of a society that has been turned upside down and sideways, there is one constant to believers. God is our strength. He is where we can go to find refuge. And so while the world seeks strength and refuge in evil, we as believers turn to the one who is above all other things. God is also our very present help in trouble. In Christ we have Emmanuel. God with us. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit and nothing can separate us from the love of God. And as I was studying this this week, I, I love this excerpt from Valley of the Vision. It says, Thy understanding is unsearchable. Thy, thy arm cannot be stayed. Thy agency extends through limitless space. All works hang on thy care. With thee, Time is a present now. Our God is not like a, a God that, like a watchmaker who put together creation and just sat back and let it go. No, He is at work even today. Even in our evil society, He's at work. Even in the church that seems like it's going the wrong way, He's at work. And Jesus reminded the Jews of his time. In John chapter 5, 17, it says, My Father is working until now, and I am working. He is very present. 
And he is our help. And his help and comfort to us always come at just the needed time. Have you ever noticed that? Just when we need it. He's there. In his perfect timing. Therefore, we will not fear. Look at verse 2 and 3. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Therefore, it's, it's always good because there's always a promise that comes after that, right? God is our refuge. He's our strength. He alone is our helper. Therefore, we will not fear. Luther writes it this way. Our helper amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. We don't have to fear because we have the creator of the universe with us. Fighting for us. And working all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Romans chapter 8, 28. And I was uh, reminded of this quote this week. Roosevelt, President Roosevelt on his inauguration in 1933 famously exclaimed that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. It's a nice sentiment. But David says, because God is our refuge and strength, we have no fear. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2 says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. In 1 Timothy, I mean, sorry, 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 10, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This isn't to say that fear is not a part of life. There's things that we can be fearful of, and we should be fearful of. But it should not be overwhelming to believers. Because following Christ is not for the faint-hearted. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, If anyone come... After me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And again, he doubles down in Luke 14, 27. It says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so even though we may see mountains moving to the sea, earthquakes, waters running out of their banks, or volcanoes erupting, or glaciers of ice melting, 
and falling into the ocean or two months of 100 plus degrees with no rain in sight or two years of a pandemic, whatever else we might endure here on earth. I love how David says it. Our God is our helper. And he sets this as an example. Look at chapter, uh, verse 4 and 5. It says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. This river, this body of water is much different than the one that is pictured in verse 3 that's roaring and, and full of foam. This river is peaceful. It turns into streams that make the people of God glad. And here we see God's presence is metaphorically described as a river whose streams make glad the city of God. There was and is no river in Jerusalem, of course. That is not the point. Spurgeon compares this river to the divine grace of God. He says divine grace, like a smoothly flowing, fertilizing, full and never failing river, yields refreshment and consolation to believers. It is no boisterous ocean, but a placid stream. Happy are they who know from their own experience that there is such a river of God. Have you ever experienced this divine river of grace in your life? I know I have. And those of us who love the Lord have no doubt at some point in our lives felt refreshed by this river of divine grace and have been reminded of the Father's love and His unfailing supply of all our needs. These verses are a picture of God and His holy city of Jerusalem, but it is not hard to see the correlation to Jesus' words in John 4, 13 through 14. It says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And again in John six thirty five, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In Christ, we have a divine river of grace flowing through our lives. No matter what kind of troubles we may come up on, you know, you, I think of like floating down the river, you know, and you come across rapids. And it's kind of cool when you're in a big raft and you're not thrown about everywhere. But God, His divine grace is like a river that just flows through our life and just brings peace and grace and mercy to us at just the right time because He's always present with us. But contrast this with verse 6. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. And I can't think of a better picture of this than what is going on right now after the Supreme Court knocked down Roe v. Wade. 
The leadership of this nation is raging against the life of the unborn. And yet we should not be surprised by this, nor should we be surprised that God could orchestrate such a great thing. These are people who have never experienced the divine river of grace. Their hope is in themselves. Their strength is in the armies and the fortresses they build and the political power they think they have. They don't know God. All they know is what they believe. And so they rage. Their kingdoms totter. Why? Because God utters his voice. His word cuts them to the core. The power of one little whisper from the sovereign God of the universe renders them helpless and angry. (laughs) Hebrews 4, chapter Uh, 12 through 13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And that's what you see right now. God is... God's word is causing a meltdown of the most powerful people on earth. And God has put to shame these leaders. They cannot fight against him who is sovereign over all things. And David wasn't worried about these things. And neither should we. Look at verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord of hosts is with us. Here's our fortress. What, what other swords can you say that about today? Where is your trust? From where do you get your hope? Again, going back to Luther's song, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be. Christ Jesus. It is he. Though Sabaoth his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And we see this in Revelation 4 through 7. It says, John, the se- to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. And the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him in all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. If God is for us, who can be against us? He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our, he is our help in trouble. And when, as we look in verse 8 and 9, David feels this as well. And this song, this psalm, you can almost feel it intensifying as it goes. Look at the invitation he, go, he gives. Come, behold the words of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. 
He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. It's as if he is speaking face to face with these nations and, that are raging in these fragile kingdoms. And he says, come, look, you powerful politicians, you great philosophers, come behold the words of the Lord. And then he names the things that he has done. He has brought desolations on the earth. And you can almost hear the questions that David is asking. You, you make war? God makes war cease. You want to make weaponry to kill? He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. You think you can build armored vehicles that can withstand anything? He burns the chariots with fire. This is the sovereignty of God on full display. Everything that man can put their trust in, whether it's mountains or water for security or governments or armies, all of it is nothing compared to God and his power. And these verses also are a reminder to us as believers as the majesty of God. It's an invitation to, to look around and just see what God can do. As Calvin said, the first act of the execution of God's decree consisted of his work of creation, making the universe out of nothing as a theater for his glory. And there are a lot of glorious things to see. I've been to the Atlantic coast. I've seen the strong Mississippi River. Seen the redwoods of California that stand like 400 feet tall. I've seen the mountains of Colorado. The Grand Canyon. And the beauty of that canyon just as the sun is going down, all the colors on the side of the, mount, of the canyon. The whole earth is filled with God's glory. We'll just look around and see what he has done. And this invitation leads us into verse 10 and 11. It says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Again, to those who love God, he is our fortress. We know that he will be exalted, not just among the nations, but in all the earth. As Luther Song continues, And though this world with devil's fields should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. So here, here's a question I have for you this morning, and it's in this declarative statement that is made. Be still and know that I am God. I mentioned earlier that there's two types of people. Do you know God? This simple yet profound statement really kind of summarizes, as I, th I thought about that this week, it, it encapsulates the word of God. 
all of the Old Testament, from creation to the flood, to Abraham, to Moses, to the prophets, to the cross, and the resurrection, to the church, all the way through Revelation and Christ's return. All the words described in Scripture, the miracles, the overcoming of death and sin, all of it playing out in history in the fullness of time. God says, be still and know that I am God. How do we do this? Those who don't know Christ, who don't have Christ, will do this one day. Paul writes in Philippians that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And to those of us who are in Christ, we must do this now. And so I made a, a goofy acronym out of it, out of the word steel. So the first word is solitude. How do we do this? How do we be still and know that, I am, that he is God? We get alone with God. We have solitude. And we do this because we have the example of Christ. In Luke 5, 16, it says that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And you know, it's great to be together with the, the people of God, praying for one another, studying together, confessing sins together, or just fellowshipping. But there's time when we need solitude. To be still before God in prayer. To study His Word. And to just let Him speak to us. Joe Beakey says it like this, Do not expect to grow in holiness if you spend little time alone with God and do not take His Word seriously. And so if Jesus did it, I think I can say with confidence we should be doing it as well. The T is for trust. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 is very familiar. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make, your straight, make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Another way we can be still and know that God is to elevate your, our trust in him. Over ourselves. And that's not easy, right? We like to do things ourselves. We want to put hands on it. We want to fix stuff, right? But to know God is to know He is sovereign over everything. So we need to quit fighting against Him so hard. We must trust that He has what's best for us in mind. It's the only way we can have healing in our bones. The I is for insulate. I had to struggle with this one. Sorry. <laughs> insulate. First John 1, 5 through 7, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, Jesus prayed in, in, 
and John that we would be in the world, but not of the world. And, we can, and I'm not saying we can avoid everything sinful. But if you think about it, many of the times we fall into sin, it's because we have put down our guard and have not looked carefully how we walk. And have instead walked foolishly to sin. Not making the best use of our time. So this is why it is so important to have those times of stillness before God alone. To insulate ourselves from the world. To avoid these situations. The first L is for loose. Job chapter 1 verse 20 says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now remember this, this quote from Corey Timboon. As you know, she went through the, tri- the trial of being in Nazi Germany and going through the con- concentration camps. And she said this, hold loosely to the things of this life so that if God requires them of you, it will be easy to let them go. To know God is to know He is sovereign and owns everything. And we, sh- we should enjoy the gifts He gives us. But we should not hold them so tightly that we're not willing to let, them ha- let Him have them should He decide to take them away. And finally, the the last L is for listen. And I was reminded of the story in 1 Kings chapter 19 when Elijah is running from Jezebel. He hid in a cave. And and in verse 11 it says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And if we listen to the voice of God very often, he would probably be asking us the same thing. What are you doing here? To know God, we must listen to what he has to say. We have to get still and read his word and pray and then listen. To know God is to know that he is wiser than us and he has given us his word to know him. So solitude with God, trusting God, insulating ourselves from worldly things, loosely holding the gifts God has given us and listening to what he has said. Be still and know that I am God. Do you know him? If not, what are you trusting in? Whatever it is, God... David says there is no other source that you can trust in. Nature, government, armies, yes, even yourselves will fail ultimately. 
That's why he invites you to come and see the effects of the devastating judgments of God and stand in awe and silence. Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. 3.23, Romans 3.23 says, We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that the wages or payment we give for that sin is death. Romans 6.23 If you do not have Christ, you are sitting under the wrath of God. He is not your refuge. He is your enemy. All the strength in the world will not help you on the day of judgment. My hope and prayer for you is that you will diligently seek after God and that He will grant you repentance and salvation. If you're here this morning and you do know him, you can be confident that anything you may be going through right now, whether it's illness or financial struggle, marriage, just body breaking down, or just life in general, he is your refuge. And you can find strength and comfort in him. Are you putting your trust in the one who is above all? Well, the last verse of the mighty fortress is our God says this. That that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gift are ours through him who with us sideth. And then listen to what Luther says. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. What is your trust? Where is your hope? Nothing in this world we can experience, good or bad, can compare to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, and I'll finish with this. says this, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the earth, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and all things in earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. The Lord of hosts is with us. He has given us everything in Christ. He has lavished us with his grace. So let us exalt his name among the nations and in all the earth. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so in awe of you. How you rule sovereignly over everything. That nothing that we can come in contact with, nothing that we can experience, nothing that we can try and do on our own can compare to your glory, your majesty, to your strength. Father, we are so thankful that you loved us so much that you would send your son to die for us. And that through him we have been adopted to your kingdom, to your family, that we are Join heirs with Christ. God, you are so amazing. Yet so many times we forget. Help us to remember, Lord, to be still and know that you are God. That even in the little things, You are all-powerful. You are all-knowing. You are loving. God, you are a God of holiness. You command us to be holy as you are holy. So, Father, we ask that you would sanctify us through your Holy Spirit and to continue to Make us holy and into the image of Christ. As you tear away the things that you need to tear away from us. And build into us the things that we need to follow after you. And may your name be exalted in all the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.